Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Who Back When. As a celebration of the recent super deluxe edition of the Who Sell Out, an unimprovable satire on capitalism in itself, and the thematically related Doctor Who episode Oxygen, we present Who Back When Sell Out. Leon has finally set up the podcast's Patreon page, he assures me, and we've given in to all sorts of advertisers, but we hope that far from sullying your podcast experience, this timely injection of capital will actually improve it. So sit back, relax, and prepare to barely notice any interruptions to your usual programming. Hey, UK listeners, this one's for you. Freshware Hello Space provides all the fresh seasonal website solutions straight to your door, plus step-by-step instructions to create delicious new web pages that will grow your brand and bring your business dreams to life. You know what? I just love how it takes all the hassle out of moving your business online. It's changed my life. I'm a different person because of it. Just head on over to freshsquarehellospace.co.uk slash sign up and save 20% by using the code who back when set out. This is the one with the Doctor's theme tune. Capitalism in space. Space doors that don't go shuk shuk. <laughs> and the plan you've been waiting for all your life. It's called Oxygen. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel sound. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow. Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and out between, welcome to another fantastic <laughs> episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog past. That's right. I am Drew Back When. Sorry for the spoilers. And I have two other co-hosts with me today. Well, I have one physically with me. What? Within touching distance. Oh, let's touch each other. Oh, oh, oh that oh, actually oh, happened, oh, podcast oh, land. Climax. <laughs> <laughs> That lucky boy you heard climaxing was none other than the amazing Leon Ponkin. Hello, Leon. Hello there. <laughs> Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. And looking distinctly left out, but not ungrateful for it, in Berlin is the marvellous Marie. Hello, podcast land. Hello, Drew. Hello, Leon. Hello, Marie. Hello, Marie. And this is episode N136, Oxygen. Boop, 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 boop. Brap, brap. <laughs> 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 nice. Who wants to air their high-level views first? I enjoyed the crap out of this episode. Oh, ah, very nice. Yeah. Marie? I think I did enjoy this episode. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> you think? You think you enjoyed it? I'm waiting she needs to convincing. Make, make my mind up. No, it was cool. Oh. Zombies in space. She needs further information. Like... Second and third opinion I'm is what she needs. <laughs> I'm secretly hoping that you hated it, Drew. <laughs> I'm really hoping you hated it. I thought that oxygen was a gas. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> nice. See what you did there, very nice. <laughs> well, shall we crack right on with it then? With a B scale. What a spiffing idea. Do let's. Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free for all. We like to call a bite sized chunk of who. Bite sized chunk of who. The future has cranked capitalism up to 11 in this 12 heavy story that has Capaldi putting on airs at Bristol University while gasping for another inspiring adventure in space. You can't keep a good doctor down, though, and when a serendipitous distress signal reaches the TARDIS across the airways, they answer the call to adventure. 
Constant breath of fresh air, Nardole huffs after them as well, and soon has every right to air his grievances, as the space station they materialise in is full of zombie astronauts breathing down their necks without an air to spare. With no air apparent, and contending with the situation's fluid dynamics, our heroes need to think up a wheeze fast while they're waiting to exhale. Doc ain't just full of hot air when he says he'll, air quotes, breathe new life into workers' rights, but the puffed-up airheads running the head office may disagree. In business, in space, and certainly in space business, the suit makes the man, though. And as air on a G-string plays gently in the background, Team TARDIS must unionise before they can breathe a sigh of relief. Scout over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? Yes, we are just! (laughs) (laughs) Wow, sinking is easier in person. Isn't it just? Yeah. Holy moly. Seriously, Podcast Land, just take a moment to appreciate this. This is the first time in over a year that we are recording in person, Drew and I. Unfortunately, this room does not extend across land, water, more land into Germany, but... (laughs) It's the first time that two people who don't live together have been recording in person on this podcast. But we don't want to harp on about it because I can see Marie beginning to feel left out. I'm so sorry, Marie. I wish my living room were larger. And we both <laughs> wish that we lived in Berlin, really, let's face it. Probably probably better than non-EU UK. So, no, I got for, the, for the 52% of fans we got left... You mean the people who are pro-EU? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Because we've alienated... Wait, half of our listenership is pro-Brexit. Actually, wait, wait. After Eurovision <laughs> last night, there will be hardly anyone pro-Europe left. Can we take a minute to talk Eurovision? I believe we must. <laughs> I know that you watched it because my phone was going ape nuts with your tweets. Yeah, my 104 <laughs> followers could not escape the fact that I was watching it. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, Kyle, who felt the need to try to shut me up. <laughs> well done, oh. Kyle. Marie, did you, you watch your revision? Uh, no. Well, here's my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> Where was your vote for the UK, Marie? <laughs> Where was the UK's vote for the EU, for Europe, in Eurovision? I wonder if a lot of people in Europe went, you know what, we're just going to boycott the UK for this one. By the way, I've only heard snippets of the UK contribution and the Italy contribution. Oh dear, you want to hear more than that? Yeah, I'm sure that most are better than those two, because quite frankly, I don't understand why Italy won. Having just heard that one, I don't know how bad everyone else was, but like, that was not my taste. Listen to Germany's. Marie, you must have heard Germany's. Um, no. Oh, well, okay. Let me just say you'd know if you had. Okay. <laughs> Why? Would you be scarred? Like... That is a possibility. <laughs> it leaves a mark one way or another. It makes its German mark. All right. Where yeah. are we going with this? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> For the few listeners we've got left after all that lot, who wants to start off with a question? I have a couple of questions. Is it death? Where is my sting? No. Okay. (laughs) But nice touch, by the way. No. So they are mining for copper ore. Copper ore what? (laughs) Had to, sorry. Which they clarify in this episode is almost valueless. If someone tried to steal it, it wouldn't be worth their while. So No, no, that's not quite what they're saying. They're saying that the copper is held at such a low concentration in this space rock the size of a mountain that they would have to steal the entire mountain, I thought, to uh, get any usable copper out of it. Ah, I see. All right, I'm going to go for my other question. be wrong (laughs) no i think you're right because my question was basically why even mine for it if it's worth nothing in the future i'll go for another question then these suits are clearly tied to a network over wi-fi 
why not deactivate the organic components of a Wi-Fi? Why do you need to touch each other uh, in order to deactivate someone, in order to like, sort of lightning bolt transfer cord to another suit? So they said the suits that they end up in were offline at the time, which is why they didn't get it initially. So maybe they just managed to keep them offline. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Does that go for everyone? Who, but the people who work in the station who are still alive... Those yeah, suits no, can't so have been offline. No, they were. They explained yeah. that they happened to be in a particular part where the signal didn't reach, and it was just dumb luck, is what they said. Yeah. Speaking of dumb, me, I did not pick up on that at all. That's very clever. I like it. Boom. You, uh, I even like this episode more now. You dumb lucker. <laughs> 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 well, we've answered those two questions, so yeah. 5.0 then. <laughs> Pretty close to it. Okay, different question then, because this was one of my first thoughts when finishing watching this earlier today. Would you consider this episode as a starter episode for someone who is not familiar with Doctor Who, who has never seen Capaldi as the Doctor, to initiate them in the world of New Who and certainly the Twelfth Doctor? Well, and I, mean, I ask this because it... I feel like it has a lot of commercial sort of mass market appeal. It's quite far towards the end of his run, so it would be a weird place to jump into to then have to go back to see the rest of it. But I guess that's a yeah, super stands, good point. It sounds alone, like you don't need to have seen anything previously to appreciate this episode. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I think that's a super duper good point because it is like his final season, but it doesn't put a pin in his arc, his character arc, aside from the fact that it kind of spoils that, okay, for the last run, he'll be blind. But like, you don't need to know who's in the vault, you don't need to know anything else really. It's just, this is the Doctor, he solves problems, he's pretty badass. He fights zombies in space. Badass is a word that reoccurs throughout my notes. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is my friend who Capaldi was such a badass in this episode. Yes! <laughs> and further, it did occur to me that this would have appeal beyond the Doctor Who fan base, because this was just a good quality, flat-out hard sci-fi episode. Right, yeah. It didn't need the sonic screwdriver, it didn't need any of the usual Doctor Who templates or codes. It was just... A well-written story, well-acted. Ah, yeah. I'm, I'm rating it already. I'm glad that you phrased it that way, because wasn't it lovely when they just flat out blatantly, <laughs> gratuitously sacrificed the Sonic very early <laughs> in this episode? One of Jamie Matheson's previous episodes was Flatline. I was going to ask what else he's written, because I recognize the name, but I didn't know. Okay, I'll so get onto that in a second. Flatline... Yes. <laughs> The end of Flatline, we were all like, Flatline is amazing. It's right. great. Everything yeah. about it is top notch, apart from the Doctor just emerges from the TARDIS at the end, turns on the Sonic, end of episode. Yeah. And so to see Jamie Matheson take this on board or just go in a completely different direction and be like, okay, this time I'm going to do it completely without the Sonic. I was like, you go, Jamie Matheson. <laughs> If you can do as well as you did last time and fix this one thing, then we're pretty near perfection. Are you saying you listened to our feedback, Drew, and then rewrote this episode because of it? Retroactively. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm sure the fan base voiced opinions at the time. Yes, okay. I think you're onto something. Hmm. I think that makes perfect sense. So wait, what else has he written then? Flatline. Did he do Mummy on the Orient Express? Indeed. He did. Oh, score. And there's one more, which he co-wrote with Stephen Moffat. Wait, 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 wait. Marie, do you know which one this is? I bet you together we can figure this out. What else has Capaldi done that seems kind of flatline-y, kind of Mummy on the Orient Express-y? Kind of Viking-y. No way! Did he do the double feature? He did the girl who died. Oh, right, okay. <sighs> Part of the double feature! <laughs> 
and this to date is his fourth and last episode and remember for one of the previous episodes we learnt from Jim the Fish that Jamie Matheson was in the running to be the showrunner after Moffat left yeah. but he had this super dark child abuse storyline in oh, mind oh yes that's right that is so right I've just looked up Jamie Matheson on IMDb and since Doctor Who he has written nothing which boggles the mind he's so good at this oh see i have a theory my theory is uh-huh that he is waiting for chibnall either to call him in for help or to crash and burn on his own get replaced then jamie matheson comes aboard he's got a whole series written ready to go because he's been hoarding these scripts over the last oh, two or three years wow i love that as a theory marie how would you feel if chibber's crashed and burned after this upcoming <laughs> season and jamie matheson <laughs> steps in he's like right so first off capaldi is the doctor <laughs> <laughs> well maybe not <laughs> maybe, maybe not, not that, the 14th but, doctor uh... is a surly scottish man <laughs> yeah he's teaching at gordonstone it's packed with pervy bishops <laughs> go everybody just go <laughs> I have a few ideas. They're mainly schlock horror of the 40s and 50s on a space transport of some sort. Mommy's on the Orient Express. I see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just waiting for the end of the sentence to laugh. I didn't need any explanation. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was terrible. What I am 3.2 espresso martinis in, by the way. It's 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I have no more questions in my notes. So to me, this is currently a perfect episode. Oh, really, Marie? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we can't let him off that easily. There we go. What did you like the most about this episode? Or what did you dislike the most about this episode? Either one will do. And if you didn't feel anything either way, that in itself is a failing of the episode. That's I true. don't know. <laughs> What is the main takeaway from this episode? Why don't we start there and then we gradually dig ourselves down into the more granular stuff? Capitalism is bad. Bingo. <laughs> As is racism. Yeah. Yes. Against yeah. all colors of people. True. Yeah. I really struggled to find trivia for this episode, by the way, but apparently there was some interview with Matheson and someone else, I can't remember now, probably like main ancillary characters, you know, like companions of the week. And Matheson said he really worried that this was slightly too political, that it would be perceived as slightly too political, rather, in that it was blatantly anti-capitalist. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. It was oh. really interesting to like compare it to the, we had very, very political stuff recently with Whitaker. And then, yeah, to look back on this one and be like, oh, they kind of started it earlier. But actually, in comparison, it was a lot more subtle here. (laughs) Like, it's blatantly anti-capitalist, but it's not as rammed down your throat as it is later. So I actually quite like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there isn't a post-credit sequence of a fat cat jacking himself off with $100 bills. (laughs) 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 And someone else rubbing himself off against Mao's Little Red and then distributing the result evenly across the population. (laughs) Sorry. Politically, I lean somewhere in between. (laughs) Yeah, I think most people do. So how do you feel about this whole, I mean, did you see this coming or did you maybe remember this from the first time that you watched this episode? The whole air is for sale and consequently actually the big bad here is in fact just corporate earth. I think to me it was quite obvious from early on because very soon there's a close up of the oxygen and it says oxygen credits. And so it's very obvious that you're buying or you're exchanging credits for oxygen. So I don't think I remember this episode hugely, but that sort of triggered it. So immediately I knew who the big bad was. 
But I don't know if you would have caught that the first time round. Yeah, I also found it impossible to remember the first time round whether when Capaldi realises with shock and surprise that, oh, it's the corporation itself who are killing off the organic components, I was similarly surprised because I remembered pretty much everything. It all goes together so closely. The you pay for oxygen, we kill you when we feel like it. Exactly. If you're going to make your workforce pay for oxygen, you clearly don't care about their well-being. So yeah, it's not a big surprise. So is this just a case of fine print in their employment contract that no one read? Has anyone ever read their entire employment contract? Marie, you literally just got a new job, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Huge, huge congrats across the ether and land and water and more land. <laughs> Have you had a look at your contract and did you read the fine print because it's possible that your new employer will deactivate you? I read the entire thing top to bottom <gasps> and the last line in it was basically, so it's half in German, half in English side by side. And the last line of the uh-huh. English translation says, we default to the German translation in all legal matters. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh no! I have absolutely no idea what I've signed because I, my German's not that good. <laughs> There's like asterisk. You've heard of the Rosetta Stone, right? Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, but I don't that, think there was crazy. anything in there about taking my oxygen away. So, okay, good. Phew. Phew. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Maybe hold your breath as you enter the building the first time, just in case. <laughs> yeah. Make sure my yeah. credit's... Hold the close to the door for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Unless they have those really funky, but nowadays in COVID times, creepy revolving doors. You're like, oh no, oh, where's my oxygen? Where's my oxygen? Yeah. Either this is a crime against the people in question, or there was fine print in their employment contract all along that clarified that, hey... If you don't produce above uh, any limits set as a relevant enough return on investment by corporate earth, we will deactivate you. We won't kill you. We will just deactivate you. Temporarily, we will zombify you. And they sign the contract and that's done. In which case, at the end of this episode, they return to earth. They're going to speak loudly for the common man, but they will accomplish nothing because they clearly signed a contract to that effect. No, it's it's not in the contract at all. You don't think so? No, not at all. What they're doing is they've got the perfect scam setup. They have the distress call. They send the ship out as if they're going to save them. Oh no, once again, we got there just too late. But the vast distances of space means that it's always unlikely. I guess you know the risks going in, guys. Are you still fine with that? Okay, we don't need you to be deluded by any fine print because you're desperate and we've got the upper hand and we'll just keep this ticking over, shall we? That's a, thing, I'm glad that you brought that up. Oh, sorry, Marie. The thing that I didn't really get with this whole setup is that so productivity has dropped too low so we're gonna just get rid of you and replace you with someone else but why has productivity dropped that low and why do you think that a new crew will it's not like they've just worked them to the bone and they're old and frail and they can't do it anymore maybe there's a problem there's like with... barely any copper on this exactly w- wherever they're mining yeah so the new crew is the idea oh they're young and fresh and full of energy and they're going to work harder and but i don't know it just seems like a really weird temporary solution well, hang on we're talking from extremely privileged positions here we never had to go down a mine we've never had to spend months mining and just wearying our bodies and doing constant shift work there would be a drop-off in productivity certainly yeah but something else just dawned on me they're on a space station floating through space they're not on a planet 
planets, what are they mining? Are they mining just like asteroids or something? Yeah. yeah so I why think. deactivate the humans? Wouldn't it make more sense to just transfer the space station to a different quadrant where there might be more asteroids or more copper? Well, how are they defining productivity? We don't know whether that's input or output. Marie, you had your hand raised a minute ago. Because this exact scenario just came up in the book that I'm reading. And Ooh. basically, they basically sacked all the miners in Wales at this period for basically striking and brought in a load of new miners. Well, they weren't miners. They just shipped in people from Russia who thought they were going to people America and then Russia? turned up in Cardiff. Yeah. What? Um, and wow. sent them down the mines. And yeah, basically said that because they were unskilled and untrained and didn't know what they were doing, their productivity was so low and it would take years to get them up to the state of the miners that were already there and knew what they were doing and therefore their processes were better and blah, blah, blah. So you ship in new people thinking they're all fresh, but they don't have the experience and therefore it's less productive actually not more so by that rationale wouldn't it make more sense isn't it a better use of your resources your investment to take the employees who are experienced and move them to a different area exactly yeah yeah so the people who are here like in this episode who are on this station or the station itself because the station is a resource the company has invested a certain amount of money in this station wouldn't it make more sense to just move the station elsewhere rather than just like leave it there to rust and kill everyone on board? <laughs> that seems really... You know what? We don't even have to transpose this into space in the future for that to clearly be nonsensical. Today, yeah. oh, you have a company where you've spent years training your staff and, oh, they're not doing super well. Maybe like tone down whatever projects they're working on and funnel them into another part of the business or make them more redundant and invest the money elsewhere. Sure, if that's the case. But you don't just kill them and still invest the money to keep them alive inside their suits and then yeah. destroy the suits. The suits, we've seen the suits working on their own. They're walking about independently. They can pick up a weight of things. I sort of assumed that the new ship coming might be full of robots that were going to replace the humans and therefore we don't need this expense of oxygen. Yeah. But yeah, if they're just replacing them with other humans, the same thing's going to happen again. And this idea is that this cycle is going to keep continuing on. I'm sorry to cut you off, but what this suggests to me is that oxygen is worth more than copper. And oxygen yeah. is also worth more than every single piece of intelligence and physical resource that has been invested into the construction of this station and the suits they're in. Yeah, but heaven forbid you should take a plant aboard. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they getting this oxygen from? Is there a greenhouse that's off limits? It's transferred to them via Wi-Fi. Oh, of course. <laughs> But seriously, it seems as though oxygen is the most valuable asset aboard this station. And if that's the case, that station in itself is a bad investment. Yeah. You're using something that is more expensive to generate an income from something else. <laughs> that's like, I'm going to buy a bunch of gold to create, I don't know, something that's like, I have to hold on to a gold bar in order to extract. Heads up, Podcast Land. We are restarting after a bit of a break. I'll try not to be too repetitive. I have a number of points against what you guys were saying over the previous few minutes. Okay. You were talking about bad economies. Yeah. As if the current capitalist economy is completely rational and businesses are not 50% or more run on nonsense already. You know of things, Leon, at your company, which... Do you want it to remain nameless? It's... Or it could remain nameless. Nameless, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm putting my shit out there. <laughs> 
we haven't even got around to naming it yet. How stupid is that? But anyway, the point is... <laughs> that is the name. Leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever budgets get involved or targets, sure. there is artificiality of trying to set these figures against other figures that are separated from these third figures, which actually have more to do with it than anything, but nobody's actually paying attention to those figures because it's the bottom line that matters. And he mentions this in this episode, the bottom line, if we can set the value of human input at zero, that's capitalism perfected, hooray. We own the means of production and the human element is 0%. There's nowhere we can go from here. Well, maybe that is actually the means of production. Maybe the humans are the means of production and they are owned by the capitalist entity on earth that runs this mining facility. Yeah. But my point was basically that if it costs you a gold bar to produce a copper bar, and that's all you will ever produce if you've invested a gold bar, that's bad economy. On earth, in this environment, at these exchange rates, yes. but No, in general, because like gold is worth more than copper. On this planet, dude. We're talking about a whole universe. Things can vary. Fine. If you spend more resources. My point here is basically that the human employees of this space station and the space station itself and the drill or whatever it is that they use to drill into asteroids. Oh, who, who knows? I'd what use they're... a drill to drill. Yeah, but like who knows what they're <laughs> drilling into? Let's say asteroids. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All of that stuff seems to be worth more than the copper that they are extracting. And rather than move it elsewhere where they might extract more copper, because like the only way that they have a positive return on investment is if they extract copper to a value greater than the drill and the space station and the human resources aboard this space station. Rather than do that, they will just sacrifice it. Now you're forgetting about exchange rates. They have found a market. Exchange rates? They have found a market <laughs> which will pay absolute top dollar for copper. And mm-hmm. they sell to this market. The market's like, great, have all of our money. And they more than recoup their investment on all the other things you just talked about. But anyway, my point overarching all of this, exchange rates and pernicketiness aside, is <laughs> that if if the target is produce 5% more copper this year than last year because we yep. have to satisfy a galactic number of investors, millions, billions, yep. it's all about how many people you can get to invest. All they care about is how much copper you are producing. They don't care about the inputs. They don't care about the human lives. All they care about is that at the end of the year, they reach their target and there's a dividend on their shares. And because of that, they're prepared to invest unthinkable amounts And that's all that matters in this stage of capitalism. And that is not unlike a lot of the capitalism that is going on on Earth, which is batshit crazy. Agreed. Sure. Yeah. So I I actually give a free pass to pretty much every loopy, stupid thing in this episode, as long as it's connected with how dumb the managers are. I think that's a super good point, Drew, and I totally agree with you. I think that's the point that they're trying to make, is that capitalism is batshit crazy and doesn't value workers, and that's true on Earth now as it is in this far-flung future on this asteroid. Which is why the problem I had most was with the ending, when Doctor kind of reveals that this sparked a revolution and therefore the end of capitalism. It's like, this has been going on forever I really struggle to believe that this one incident where they're treating human as if they're worthless because they're not worth as much as either the oxygen or the copper that they're getting out of the earth and they're treating people as disposable, that's been going on forever. And yeah, that was the bit that didn't ring true is that we were just going to finish capitalism because this one thing had failed. They maybe needed to say a little bit extra at that point, which is the Ganymede Corporation is what Amazon became once Amazon had swallowed up every other company. So you don't have to dismantle an economy 
all you have to do is seize this one company's means of production and the revolution inevitably follows. For any capitalists out there in podcast land... Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Carry on, Leon. (laughs) Not where I was going, okay? It it, It wasn't. Okay, for any capitalists out there in podcast land who are still listening... (laughs) And the estate agents, you can fuck off as well. (laughs) Not all estate agents. Just... Just the capitalist ones. No. I was going to say, there are pros and cons to capitalism in general. I think the point here is maybe that capitalism as a system... Oh, sorry. I don't want to speak for anyone else. The point that I might make here is that capitalism as a system is a personal, right? So it all it can do is it can recognize incomes and outputs and it can recognize resources. But what it doesn't recognize necessarily on Earth today is that human emotions and human lives are also fucking resources. And if people are suffering in order to, let's say, mine diamonds out of some African mine or to whatever it is, those are also resources that need to be taken into account and major corporations sadly often do not. This episode seems to clarify that, but it's as though this episode didn't study business, nor did I, I should point out, but like (laughs) didn't study business and is relinquishing highly valuable assets in the process. We're not talking about their emotional states. Oh no, I really want to be alive. Oh no, oh no. Obviously to us as humans, that's hugely valuable to the corporation. It is not, but to the corporation, what should be valuable is, oh, hey, I spent years training to be a fucking miner on this space station. I am a valuable resource. (laughs) I'm wearing a suit that costs a lot of money to produce. I'm on a space station that a lot of people constructed. That's a valuable resource. Anyway, I feel like I'm hopping on. Yeah, I've got another couple of points to say in response to that. This is going to be the anti-capitalist episode (laughs) of Who Back When. It was bound to happen sooner or later. Yeah. I've done a few not necessarily fully in-depth books on economics. I've copy-edited a few primers. I know a few things. Capitalism, while it has become impersonal, in the sense that it's supposed to be driven entirely by the market, is supposed to respond to people's individuals' needs. Someone is supposed to say, I would like this good. Another person with sufficient labor or capital to invest should be able to say, okay, I or a few people I'll get together with will provide this good and we will trade it to you for this price. And so that's entirely dictated by the needs and demands of people. That's great if you have a lot of hungry people and someone fancies opening a restaurant and they can get the inputs for the restaurant fairly cheaply because staples and food and whatever. But when you've got a mining corporation and you need to build a space station and make this huge outlay, I can't go and do that. The only company that can go and do that is one that's been in the game for 200 years at this point already. That market is not susceptible to new entrants, is what I'm saying. Are you basically describing SpaceX in the year 2358? Yeah, I am. Gotcha. And so they have a monopoly, and it's when a monopoly happens that the market isn't rational anymore, and this sort of outcome is perfectly feasible. And my other point, to be a little briefer, is that you are mistaking the need for profit with the love of power. If someone's in charge of a company, they might want to satisfy their investors. But to an extent, all they care about is maintaining the power and monopoly that they already have. And if some people die along the way, if they don't make enough money, they don't need money. They're richer than space Croesus at this point. I disagree with you. All they need to do is just stay where they are. And more money would be great. And a lot of rich people are fully obsessed with only getting richer. I grant you that. Yep. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Jeff Kerblam, head of the new Kerblam Studios. Our acquisition of Lion Films is a huge opportunity for us together to continue what they have always done best. Great story retelling, pre-telling, and TV-telling, skimming every last drop of watered-down IP milk from their branded cattle. We can't wait to re-re-re-reimagine Robot Cop and Totally Recall and develop this property for the whole of the 21st century. So why not take out a subscription with Kerblam Prime today? But if these people die and the year is a bit down, so what? We'll have this company operating with its monopoly for the next forever. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head and it is about monopolies because all the studies that I've ever read about this basically say that the better you treat your staff, the harder they work for you, the longer they stay in a company, you have more loyalty, blah, blah, blah. It's worth treating people like people and it's worth paying them more because they will then spend more money in the economy treating people like humans is better for everybody, even in a capitalist society. But you're absolutely right when you talk about monopolies that goes out of the window because you then yeah, become... But in the absence of competition, those factors are entirely meaningless. Exactly, because I can as easily replace you tomorrow with somebody else who's desperate for a job and will work for less money and less benefit, fewer benefits. And yeah, that's where you got this deep dive to the lowest possible common denominator. How little can we pay people? How hard can we work them? How much profit can we get out of them? And that's what they've shown taken to the extreme here. So it's not about necessarily capitalism being the bad thing, but monopolies being the thing. Yeah, I like that as a point. I can stand behind that. I've got a fantastic follow-up question that definitely keeps us on the same track and does not root us back down to earth in this episode. And that is, what a cold open, right? Yes, oh my god, I thought the same. It was actually, what were you saying earlier about it being a good intro episode to Doctor Who and it being like a hard sci-fi? So, yeah. yeah, the cold open was like, um, is this Doctor Who? Have I just switched on the wrong channel? I'm watching a really cool it new sci-fi drama. It starts with Space the Final Frontier. Yeah. yeah. We've got and some yes. decent Star Trek references there. <laughs> And there's just these like bodies floating over and the countdown drew to the one credit of oxygen <gasps> remaining and you're, you're trying you to walk back. And, oh, yeah. oh, Marie, you're the best. Thank you so much for bringing that, that up. That, I did not even think about that. One From one to zero isn't countdown. That's just the flip of a coin. That's just tension. It's going to happen at some point. That's waiting for a bomb to explode. That's with Wiley Coyote with his hand on the primer. He's like, when's the Roadrunner coming? And you're waiting. And you're like, me, me. And it's like, oh, it's going soon. There's no countdown. That's just joy. Good. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's it another countdown later tense. on in the episode. Sorry, there's another countdown later on in the episode where it cuts in as the oxygen is running out and it goes two, one, zero. And it's like, I didn't even have time to get annoyed. <laughs> Which countdown was it? It was the one where Bill says, didn't anyone else hear that they were talking about expelling all the air? And oh, right. And then on oh, zero, yes. suddenly they're hanging sideways yeah. off of the wall furniture, or whatever you call it. The handles. Yeah, that was a good The wall furniture. <laughs> yeah, this is the one with wall furniture. <laughs> classic, classic English term. <laughs> Isn't that just a Drew term? <laughs> <laughs> the countdown that I really liked was the we're counting our oxygen in breaths. So we have around 2,000 breaths. Oh, um, yeah. yes. And, then and the you're watching Bill time... going, hoff, 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 hoff. How many is that? Seven? It's like, wow, and everyone's then... going to last hours. Bill will last a maximum seven minutes. <laughs> exactly. But I think Bill, stop reading really... so quickly. Okay. <laughs> 
But it's a really interesting one because I have absolutely no perception of how long 2,000 breaths will last me, even on average. And then suddenly the other woman, I can't remember her name, she goes, oh, okay, I'm down to 700. Abby. Even spelt the same way. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, suddenly 2,000 to 700 breaths is not that many breaths left. And that's that's like really tense without knowing when the end point will be. There's not a quick, Mm. easy countdown. To follow on from that, I love that the map included distances in breaths. Yeah, me too. That corridor is uh, 70 breaths away. That's 15 breaths away. It'll take you five breaths to go down the stairs. That sort of thing. 120 breaths to the core. So incredibly clever. I love that. Jamie Matheson. Just saying, maybe take over the reins. Like, just <laughs> just jump in whenever you're ready, buddy. <laughs> what a guy. The closest we get to a conventional countdown in this episode is when it starts counting down from 40 when they're in the airlock and Bill's yeah. helmet malfunctions. Mm, and the lovely thing yeah. about that is you don't need to keep going back to the numbers. I feel like previous seasons of Doctor Who would have been like, oh, we're 18, 17, bet you're getting tense now, eh? Five, four, hoo, hoo, get ready. But you don't need any of that. All you need to know is that sooner or later, Bill is going to be fucked. Have you guys yeah. seen Event Horizon? Oh, yeah. That scene really reminded me of a corresponding scene in Event Horizon. Marie, have you seen Event Horizon? I don't think so. Oh, freaking watch it. It's one of the best bad movies ever. Okay. It's it's a sci-fi <laughs> horror movie. It, it features Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. I can't remember oh, anyone else nice. in it. Yeah, good combo. <laughs> People go blind. Well, Sam Neill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know I don't want to spoil anything for you, Marie, or anyone in podcast land. <laughs> Slight event horizon tangent. They're on their way to investigate what happened to some other spaceship. Turns out that other spaceship, because they were trying to create wormholes to travel faster than light through space, they opened up a rift into a different dimension. And that dimension, oh, coinkidink, happened to be hell. And so, so it's a sci fi horror movie. It's like, oh, no, you go here and like someone puts their fist in your butthole. For some people, <laughs> that's an actual feature and an actual montage in the movie Event Horizon. It's great. I love it. A lot of people, for them, that is the epitome of heaven, not hell. But it doesn't matter. It's a great film. In that film, there is a scene where someone steps into an airlock because hell has seeped into his mind. He steps into an airlock without a helmet and he presses the countdown thing to open the airlock to like flush him out into space. And just as he's pressed the button and it's too late to unpress it, he snaps back to it. And his reaction in the film Event Horizon is identical to Bill's reaction in this film. Oh. Sorry, in this episode. When this very filmic episode. It, mm. You know what? It is a very filmic episode. It's it super cinematic. So scene-wise, this absolute, like, it is analogous with Event Horizon. Mm. And otherwise, yeah, wait, hang on, let's talk cinematics. There are bits of cinematography that are reminiscent of Romero zombie movies. There are clear references to Star Trek First Contact or like Star Trek in general, like maybe Star Trek Six. Undiscovered mm-hmm. country with the magnetic yeah. boots and like, oh, they're outside and you laser someone and they fly into space. It is freaking awesome. I like this episode. Yeah, there is not one second, I would say, in this episode that looks television sized. Mm. Mm. This is a made for IMAX episode that aired on regular TV. Yeah, it's a film that just happened to be only 44 minutes long. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's a million percent right. Retracting erection. Great. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So a retraction. (laughs) (laughs) Just going back to Bill's scene there in the airlock. I really loved that. That was such a great scene. And what I really loved about it, 
again, what you just said, Drew, made me think of this. But like you say, we see a countdown timer that's 40 seconds and then we don't need to do it again. We see Bill, the airlock opens and she has to keep breathing. And we see her getting weaker and weaker and we get to the pass out phase that we knew was coming because Doctor's already prepped us with that very intelligent lecture and very informative, important lecture that he gave earlier in the day. And then that's it. You don't see anything else really until she wakes up again. And I think that was really, really clever that she wakes up and she's on her own. She has no idea where the doctor is. She has no idea if he survived or not. There's a whole bunch of zombies in front of her, which she's terrified of. And rather than showing us all the gaps in between and us seeing the doctor saved her, the doctor gave up his helmet so you could survive, blah, blah, blah. You just get to experience it through her eyes. And it's so creepy when she wakes up and she just doesn't know what's going on. It's that idea of you don't have to show everything, but you build more tension by missing things out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that it sort of shows how a countdown is a way of admitting this scene isn't exciting enough by itself, in a sense. Maybe that on a conceptual level is what I am objecting to. These visuals, this story that we've concocted for you, isn't sufficiently dramatic unless we put a timer against it. So many episodes in, I still don't understand why this aversion against countdowns exists. <laughs> I think they're a really effective narrative tool. <laughs> I should listen back and just craft a PhD, a monograph out of everything I said against them. I've spoken a book yeah. on it at this point. <laughs> you have. <laughs> Could you please number the sections in your monograph or in your PhD, but number them (laughs) retroactively? Exactly. (laughs) So section five, section four. (laughs) Yeah. Just 5,000 more words until I tell you what I really think. So can we maybe like turn our attention to our primary Bill correspondent on Who Back When? Marie, how do you feel that Bill fared in this? Because in the beginning, she's super duper up for an adventure. And then all of a sudden... She bears the brunt of this adventure. It does, don't You did it again. I didn't join in. It was just Leon. It's all Leon this time. Uh, I'm sorry. It was just a question. It was just a question. <laughs> I don't okay, cut like that I question. Have a bill correspondent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm sorry. Someone asking me, Bill correspondent. I was Clara's correspondent. <laughs> That's true. Actually. That is. That is That's true. Fair point. That is true. Um, okay, we have our um, British. Bill correspondent, <laughs> the BBC. Well, we have two British Bill correspondents. Okay, wait, wait. Hang on. So I'm curious to hear what does our Bill correspondent understudy think of Bill's role in this episode, given that she was all up for a space adventure at the start of it, and then she bears the brunt of it towards sort of end of Act One. Well, I think what it does, it goes halfway to solving the problem of companions of the week. Because <laughs> you want you. <laughs> Sorry, Marie. (laughs) Or or the crew of the week, because what tends to happen is you have between four and seven people who you've never seen before, you'll never see again. Mm. You know this. You know that a certain number of them are going to get picked off. It's just a question of when and how many. Whereas here, you have Tasker goes... Then I think it's, is it Bill or is it Dachren? I can't remember quite the order. But then oh, the Doctor Dazza. as well. Actually, no, it might be Doctor, then Dachren, then Bill. 
So it helps to level out the playing field. It makes them all seem part of the same crew rather than these guys are our regular heroes. These guys are just the red shirt cannon fodder. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not fully convinced that I cared all that much about them when they did go. So I think they had a little way further. But still is that to possibly because it. you know, or like you remembered that they haven't actually died? No, Dark Ren and Tasca have. Only Bill survives because her suit didn't have the voltage to kill her. Wait, seriously? Wait, wait. I didn't understand this. Wait, everyone uh, else dies? Yeah, the, the other 36 and the ones that we see die apart from Bill in this episode, they're solid gone. What about the woman in the cold open who's like, oh, I really want to have your baby? Yeah, because she gives yeah, gone. that guy the oxygen at the end and he's like, thank you, because you don't need oxygen anymore. So she's straight up dead. I didn't understand this. Yep. Why is yeah. he so happy at the end? He's looking at a corpse. Well, I mean, I don't know what he plans <laughs> to do with that corpse, but you'll have to ask him. Why do you look so happy, my good man? <laughs> but yeah, I thought, I thought the same as you for a while, Leon, because the machine, Vera, is she called? Whatever she's called. Vel- well, um, Velma. Yeah. Velma, there we go. She, um, or at least there's a voice that says, like, your life is in our hands. And that gets repeated a few times. And I took that to be like, oh, okay. So they've just kind of put you in a deep freeze. So you don't need oxygen anymore. We're going to save the resource. And I think you said earlier in the episode, like, we'll ship you back and the new ones come in and blah, blah, blah. And you go home and it all is well. But no, I thought when Bill came back, they were all going to come back and Doc was going to save everyone. But he doesn't. That it's was just, my understanding as well. But you're yeah. so right. Like, there are only two of them in the TARDIS at the end so everyone yeah. else is dead yep. yeah shit bananas Lauren Gerard Butler is a stone cold psychopath yeah he definitely needed to emote more he needed to show a little more remorse and regret and sadness oh no yeah he basically just says thank you to his girlfriend's corpse I'm assuming that they were a couple yeah he calls her love yeah oh well he could just have been from the north yeah, but that's what <laughs> the lady at Sainsbury's calls me love that means nothing but the fact she, that she wanted to have... She did want to have, to have her babies, a, but yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That lady from Sainsbury's, if she's from the South, that is her way of telling you she wants to have you. That's... I'm going to Tesco henceforth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care how far I have to walk. I'll take the bus. I'll take two buses. I'll find a Morrison's. <laughs> they will all call you love. All right. Waitrose it is. <laughs> Sir? Yeah. <laughs> And that is a well-functioning market with plenty of alternatives. Right, that's true. Mm. It's capitalism (laughs) at its best. Yeah. At Sainsbury's, everyone behind the till, it's just a suit. They are dead. (laughs) 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 But if you go to Waitrose, it's an actual human, like, living person. Yeah, that's why you pay the extra. People outside of the UK had no idea what we're talking about, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm going to check my discount Gerard Butler box. (laughs) Okay, can I take us back to the very, very beginning, which we talked about a few minutes ago? Please. Because within those first five seconds, Jamie Matheson has shoved in a nod to another of his favourite shows. Oh? Yes. One very dear to Marie and Jim's heart. Oh, Because we start off, the very first shot is of a planet with a spot faintly visible on it, much like Jupiter's Great Red Spot, but it's more of a bluey-greeny colour shading. And in this episode, we have Ganymede systems, but it also seems to be a mining operation. Ganymede Mm. is a moon of Jupiter. In Mm -hmm. Greek mythology, Ganymede was Jupiter's cupbearer. And Red Dwarf was a Jupiter mining corporation ship. Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) 
Coincidence? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm happy for that to not be a coincidence. You've got a whole mythology <laughs> to choose from, and he chooses Jupiter's cupbearer. Come on. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I really need I to watch it. I love it. It makes I'm adding, nice. adding points on <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> yeah. 5.1, 5.2. Does anyone want to give me kind of just a barometer of like where they are point wise? One, two, three, four, or five? No. No, oh, let's no. make it too easy for you. Dag and the habits. We don't do this. <laughs> no, I was just curious, man. Stop trying to scab our points. <laughs> <laughs> I know where I am already. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> also, we talked about the direction and how great that was. The director of this episode, Charles Palmer, is the son of a Doctor Who alum. Oh, really? Yes, he's the son of Jeffrey Palmer, who was Captain Hardacre in The Voyage of the Damned. Yes. He was Vice Admiral Hamling in an episode of Poirot called The Clocks. Oh, that is such a good mystery. That is an incredibly good episode of Poirot. Oh, I love Like, that. it's a really, really good one. Oh, I don't remember him being in that one. I know exactly the actor you mean. Yeah. And more generally, people will know him from As Time Goes By, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Mrs. Brown, all with Judy Dench. Just look for Judy Dench and he'll be <laughs> on a cocktails. He is Judy Dench. He is Judy Dench. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs a pseudonym for those roles that they don't want to be credited as. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. But also, not to just say he's got a famous dad, his direction, excellent. Yeah, I would say so. I think this is a very well-executed episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Or like an, a well-executed adventure of anything set in space. Anything. It doesn't even matter what it is. Yeah. Within the first 10 seconds, we've already had Red Dwarf and Star Trek. I was reminded of gravity because of, I mean, I don't know how realistic a depiction of space gravity, you know, Sandra Bullock, George Clooney film Allegedly was. really realistic. Well, yeah. Mm. And they're spinning and gravity is just 90 minutes of constant peril because there is the thinnest lamination between you and the certain death of the void of space yeah and you see that here and they're moving so slowly and clumsily like you've seen clips of from grainy nasa footage in the 60s it really does bring home to you no you can't just go up there and fuck around and jaunt about <laughs> space is seriously trying to kill you although apparently if you're sandra bullock you can make it all the way back to earth with like almost almost no astronaut training <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for gravity. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everyone. Yeah, the good person wins. <laughs> yeah. But he also handles a lot of different styles. He has that very cinematic opening and throughout. He makes this station seem... I mean, this is a this is a base under siege situation, but yeah, I'm not immediately reminded of every other one because we just had Sleep No More. Which one's that? The Sandman. Oh, yeah. Gun. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I had to think of that rather than being like, oh, great, this is Sleep No More again, like just a few episodes later, because it felt individual and unique. And because he just directed it so well, it was like I wasn't witnessing the same shot for the 300th time. I'm pretty sure that when we reviewed Sleep No More, I thought at the time that I said something like, oh, I went into rewatching this episode thinking it was this episode. Oh, right. This is the one that I thought of. We're like, oh, yeah, people are dead, but they're actually alive. Oh, cool. They're in their suits. Yeah. I think this is what I was thinking of. Hmm. Sorry if I just derailed that. No, no, no. Marie, got anything to add on the direction? Anything stand out to you as a particularly juicy scene? Nice little shot. Mm, don't know. Just overall competent. Has he directed anything else? He goes on to direct The Eaters of Light. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Wait. Episode 10 of the series. Remind me, what is that? <gasps> uh, uh, wait, I've just seen that he's also directed an episode of Poirot. 
oh my god. <laughs> Excuse me while I climax all over the place. Was it the clocks with his dad in? He's directed two episodes of Poirot, oh in goodness. fact. One of them is the clocks. Oh, <laughs> holy smokes. I'm really sorry, Drew. I'll wipe this off afterwards. The other one is Halloween Party, which is also a really good one. Yeah, holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes. What else has he done? I'm just looking. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at what else he's done. Last time he directed something was in 2019. The Mallorca Files. Never even well, heard I mean, of that. stuff has happened since 2019. That's true. The yeah. industry's taken a bit of a knock. No, that's true. He hasn't actually directed that many things, though, even beforehand. He's only written one thing. Maybe he's living off the royalties and is just happy. Yeah, he's not a hack. He's not a journeyman everyday stand-in. He's an auteur. <laughs> that's right. Dang right he is. Dang right he is. All right. Seamless segue from that. You know who else is dang right a fantastic contribution to this episode? Mr. Frickin' Peter Capaldi. Nod all. That's right, Drew. Oh! Nod all. <laughs> what a character. <laughs> what? <laughs> Am I the only one who really likes Nod all? Marie, please back me up here. I don't know. I think... <sighs> Most of the time I really do, but I don't know if he added too much to this episode. Ooh, that's interesting, because it's the first time in a while that he's actually joining the Doc on an adventure. Normally he's there yeah. at the start and at the end of the episode. It's like, don't you go on an episode. Damn you for going on an episode at the end. But here he is in the episode. Yeah. Don't you have a yes. cuddle without me. Cuddle. I can't do it. Oh, wow. Out of my dick, dude. That's your fault. Not in a good way. <laughs> Which Nardole moments in particular did you like then, Leon? Okay. I thought Nardole was really fantastic in conveying fear at the start. In fact, Bill and Nardole both were really good at conveying fear at the start. Like when there is actual tension before the episode has actually started, they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're in those first two or three steps of the story arc. <laughs> we still have a chance to go back and be maybe lesser people, but, you know, living people. <laughs> We're going to go back to the TARDIS right now. Noddle was really good at conveying fear. I felt the tension of the circumstances thanks to him. Oh, uh, and I would say at this point that he does that without being quite such a gibbering, quivering, wobbling mess. As yeah. He has been in previous episodes. He does it, but he doesn't overplay and go, all the time. And there are a couple of really nice humorous moments as well. There's a bit that he has, I think, in interaction with Capaldi, where he's constantly stating the obvious, and Capaldi says, like, stop stating the obvious. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Phrasing. I can't remember how it's actually phrased. I was really hoping someone would state the obvious. Boom. Next time, <laughs> you're on a roll. <laughs> and he just <laughs> continues. There's just a never-ending barrage of, oh, so I guess you tuned into this episode of Doctor Who after the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exist on the BBC. No, oh, that's right. Sorry, you're so right. Yeah. I guess you just flip the channel and you tune into this episode of Doctor Who and you don't know what's going on. You need this character to state the obvious to catch you back up. Nardole does that. And he does so, to me, in an incredibly endearing way. And there's a fantastic callback to prior Doctor Who as well with Nardole. There's the bit where, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm babbling here because I freaking love Nardole. Someone's got to. <laughs> I think Nardole's great. Oh, I'm sorry that I, I'm currently looking at two of my friends who don't agree with me, but I really like Nardole. Dude, it's fine. Say your fluid links thing. <laughs> that's not what it is. Is it not? No, although that's a nice first Doctor reference. But what I was going to say was when they encounter the suit that's doing the heavy lifting in the beginning before the oxygen is like before they are in the suits of their own they encounter a suit that's just like lifting a box from one part of the room and putting it down in the other part it's just stocking boxes and doc 
Sonic's the suit, so the helmet pops off. Which is a great moment. Great moment, yeah. The smile on Capaldi's face as he's doing it, and he sees the reaction of the other (laughs) two. Screw you guys, I knew this was going (laughs) to shit you up. And then we have a shot of Nardo looking into the mechanical body of this headless automaton and i'm assuming that that is a deliberate callback to husbands of river song where he was decapitated and put inside a headless robot oh Ooh. so he's actually thinking oh thank goodness i don't have to go in there yeah like he looks into the into <laughs> the robot body and just goes <laughs> like that's not nice or maybe oh i remember what it's like in there that sort of thing and i i, I love that as a oh yeah you mentioned the fluid link callback to first doctor to Hartnell times yes yes yeah. where as I read on the BBC, the Doctor was implying his ship couldn't go anywhere without them. That was just a lie that he said so that they would explore the planet, which yeah. happened to be Scar, and they met the Daleks. Yeah, that's right. That's the second episode ever of Doctor Who. William Hartnell, Babs and Ian, and Susan, they're exploring Scarrow. If the Doctor had been an honest person, no one would have been in danger. <laughs> but he lied about a fluid link, and everyone's life was in peril. Oh. Anyway, Nardole, great character. I'm halfway there with you. This was Nardole's best episode so far, but I feel like everyone else is bringing their A game and Nardole isn't quite there yet. So I still feel like he is the weakest. This time he's the weakest of a very good bunch. I still feel like he's got a way to go. I absolutely adored the scene of, I thought I'd sent you to Birmingham for a packet of crisps. Oh yeah. Well, I saw through your clever ruse (laughs) and all that (laughs) stuff. And he, he was well, I'll overlook it this once. And then the next line of is, if this isn't crisps, you're sacked. And it just, <laughs> everything the doctor says is a punchline throughout that entire scene. And it was after watching that scene that I realized I would have to do a lot better with this Capaldi adventure that I'm writing, because this is the kind of doctor I want to write. He's so good in this. Jamie Matheson has absolutely, I said this about the guy who wrote Knock Knock last week, but Capaldi, oh my goodness. I don't know if he's elevating the scripts or they're elevating him or whatever. They're all firing on every cylinder. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yes, exactly. You mentioned the, I thought I sent you to Birmingham for a packet of crisps thing. There's almost a repeat of that line later on with the Blue Man Group chap where Capaldi goes, didn't I send you out to get me a latte? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jamie Matheson, where are you? Come back now. <laughs> that Nardole has a backbone now and the backbone is developing over time and he's gradually getting more and more. Not- His patience is wearing thin yeah. is the point. He's like, I really am going to have to step up. Nardole is stepping up in every way. Matt Lucas is an actor, the character against this other character. It's building very nicely. We didn't get the next time on Doctor Who in this one, by the way. Yeah, we did. Oh, did we? I didn't watch it. Sorry, I stopped before we got to it. Good, because the guy who compiled it should be dragged out into the street and shot. I'm so glad that I didn't watch it then. Marie, did you watch it? Yeah. (gasps) Marie! Why should it be shot? Oh, no. Oh, fine. Yeah, tell me. Tell me. Well, I don't know. Maybe Marie didn't catch the last half second of this. Does it reveal who's in the vault? Yeah. 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 In the last half second. It doesn't say that that's who's in the vault. It just. We've got a new okay. character. No, it back. doesn't. It doesn't. But at the same time, because we also have the but, book, I mean, we have River's book. Oh, is that supposed to make it ambiguous? River's I book. Don't... I don't remember this stuff. No, because I got really excited. I was like, "Oh my god, does River come back?" And Jim said that she doesn't. So I don't know who to believe now. Damn you, Jim! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does kind of give it away. But I don't know. It looks really exciting as well. 
I'm looking forward to it. I don't even know what the next episode is. I don't remember what it's about. It's extremist. So you have a 20-second preview of Doctor, the Pope wants to see you. There's this document in the Vatican archive. Everyone who's ever read it has killed themselves. It's like the Catholic ring. It's amazing. And then they're like, now we need to reveal the Missy mystery before we're done with this. We can't let people go without seeing her fizzog. I mean, I I remembered Missy being in the vault. I knew that already, so that doesn't spoil anything for me. I don't remember... Wait, is Extremist the first of maybe multiple episodes with the weird deformed monks, like the burnt monks? Yes, indeed. Three episodes. Three three episodes? Oh, yikes. I didn't even know it was physically possible to be this hard. I am looking forward to that. (laughs) That's going to be great. The first two thirds of it definitely are going to be great. Okay. I remember nothing about it except that it was good. That's all I remember. Possibly past me was an idiot, but cool. So in other news about this episode. Yes. (laughs) Did you also notice that it was super duper 12 heavy? There were a lot of references to 12. Oh, I thought that was just a numerical pun on your part in the B scale. Well, I mean, it was in a way, yes, they turn it up to 11 and it is 12 heavy because it is a 12th Doctor adventure. But there are also several references to 12. This is a Ganymede System 12 spacesuit. Oh, Section 12. Section 12. Mm. That's where he is. Corridor 12 that you need to take in order to get to processing. There are like an inordinate amount of references to 12. Every single time there's a number in this episode, it happens to be 12. Is that Matheson's way of going, this is a 12th Doctor adventure, we're just going to really, really lean into it, or is it something else? Maybe that is it. I'm happy for that to be it. Was it in your face? Maybe it's this way of saying, you know what, this is going to be a great episode to introduce new viewers of Doctor Who to, so I'm just going to shove 12 down their throats in every way possible. Yeah. And people in the audience were like subconsciously going, yeah, what about 1 through 11? Oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. I need to look that up. Maybe I'll give that a quick Google later on and buy some box sets. Yeah, totes malotes. Bingo. Mm -hmm. Bingo bongo. (laughs) Hi, so I'm Noel Clark. And I'm John Barrowman! (laughs) Both our cameo commissions have gone way down because of recent allegations. I haven't even been charged. I've never had a complaint made against me in 20 years before the 20 recent complaints. So, for a limited time, we're making you a handsome two-for-one offer. Book one of us, and we'll both appear in your video! (laughs) It's alright, because we can't touch you through the camera. Okay, here's another thing that I had completely forgotten about. Completely forgotten about. I cannot believe that I forgot about this. Did you guys remember that Capaldi goes blind? As soon as it happened, then yes, it all came flooding back. But I don't think going into this episode, I didn't have a really strong memory of it, actually. So, yeah, I don't have a strong memory of this episode as a whole before I rewatched it. So I hadn't remembered that. But yeah, as soon as it happened, then all of the kind of future memories of him came back. But that's a fantastic twist. It is, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Have we ever seen the Doctor damaged in this way? Exactly. And we're so used to, oh no, there's a companion probably going to die or has died and there's a way to bring them back. And we always know, like, when it's you think that Bill's the one in danger, you kind of know, oh, okay, he's going to save her. There's no way that she's going to die, really. And then the same with him going blind. She's really shocked by it. And it's like, oh no, like there'll be a way to fix that. Don't worry. And you're made to believe that it has been fixed. And so that last few minutes at the end of the episode and you realize that he can't see. Yeah. 
that's quite a yeah it's a triple whammy first you get the being blinded then you get oh no he's wearing the specs and then it's like Mm. but that's not why he's wearing the specs and he's still blind yeah I was thinking the same thing. When that final scene shows up, he's back in his office at Bristol University. He's wearing the specs. I was literally thinking, like, because at this point, I remember him being blind for a number of episodes. But I had no recollection of that going into this, just like you, Marie. But then at the end of the episode, I'm just like, oh, when is this reveal coming? I know that he's blind. I know (laughs) that's why he's wearing his Ray-Bans. I know those Ray-Bans are Sonic. I don't know how I feel about these Ray-Bans because I remember hating them. But now, like, in hindsight, I'm also kind of thinking that they're a cool idea. I think they're really cool. And I think that to, like, lean into it, like, okay, we've got him wearing Ray-Bans now all the time. So we can have these as a visual aid to him. And it kind of fits with we're working with the things we already have because he's just destroyed his sonic so he has to go back to the ray-bans so you wouldn't think anything of it oh yeah oh that's true yes you're so right i forgot about that yes exactly the sonic has been sacrificed thank god that's such an ugly sonic who would have thought the cheapest looking (laughs) sonic in the history of the show would be so easily destroyed what a massive piece of garbage that sonic is i'm so sorry Uh, i I like the you like it the design of it if it looked a little more expensive materials-wise, I would really dig the design. I think I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. I think I'm probably with you on that. But it looks so cheap. I don't like that, possibly in combination with it looking so cheap, but I don't like that they've deliberately made it to look like a miniature TARDIS. Mm. Ugh. No, seriously, go and eat shit, old Sonic screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> I think in hindsight, I actually really like the Ray-Bans. Oh. Well, everybody hated the Ray-Bans at first, and then it was yeah. fun to sort of agree that we hate the Ray-Bans, and then other things happened. It's like, why did we Why did we feel so that? viscerally about it? And yeah. like, now in hindsight, actually, you know what? Yeah, the BBC is just being creative. Yeah, it's just a weird herd mm. behavior thing, and we hate a change. Yeah, that's Maybe exactly we should it. get over ourselves. We're, we're all goth. <laughs> <laughs> we fear change. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The Doctor has sort of been damaged in previous episodes, but it hasn't meant anything. I'm thinking of Age of Steel, Rise of the Cybermen, where he gives away, he says, 10 years of his life. He breathes onto like a TARDIS egg. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I just gave up some of my life. And we're like, okay, those weren't 10 years we were going to see anyway. So, I mean, that's all very well that you've given of yourself in this way, but it doesn't really make any difference to us. I can't remember which episode this was from, but I think I saw in the trivia that he also at some point gave away some regeneration energy to the master. Oh, right. (laughs) No, I actually don't remember when that was. But I was going to say, also, he lost a hand at one point. That's a pretty big damage thing. Then yeah. he grows it back, obviously. Well, but like, yeah, because guess what? It's early enough in the cycle. Yeah, no, that's but true. I, but I suppose, yes. I mean, the sight of seeing the doctor's hand lopped off in that moment, pretty visceral. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Feels high stakes. Oh, finally, we're going to get... I've been pining for three seasons of Doctor Who where the doctor has a hook. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> But I think the difference well, is that he, he regrows it by the end of the episode. So you always know that whatever happens yeah. to him in an episode, it's always going to be resolved before next week. Yeah, you're right. And so it's that interesting at the close of the episode going into the next one. We don't know what's going to happen then. And from yeah, the look ahead point. thing, it doesn't get resolved immediately. And also the idea that he's lying to Bill about it. Why does he feel the need to hide it and pretend that he can see? Oh, because he's such a good person. That (laughs) is it, right? Like, he's such a good person. He doesn't want her to feel guilty about having cost him his eyesight. Yeah. But it's interesting. It it puts Bill and Nardol in this sort of hierarchy. And he's more honest with Nardol than he will be with Bill. Yeah, because he had to sacrifice his eyesight to save Bill. I'm assuming that's just my reading. 
Yeah, Nardole wouldn't feel guilty in the same way. Yeah, just I think so. It doesn't seem like it's a sustainable lie. Like at some point she's going to realize, isn't she? I'm assuming she does. You're absolutely right. Yes, a million and seven percent agree with you. She will absolutely realize this herself and she probably will, I'm going to guess, in the next three episodes. I'm looking at Drew because I think that he knows this. I can't remember exactly when... I'll never see anything ever again. Turns out to be bullshit. But yeah, I don't think it's much further away than three episodes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But even that's bullshit, because presumably the next time he regenerates, he's going to get his fresh eyes. Yeah, that's true. No, he's saying these eyes will never see anything ever again. Oh, okay. Me, Capaldi, with this face. In a way that, yeah, which I'm sure Matheson didn't intend this level of granularity with his analysis here but that says a little bit about the identity and the the sense of self of the doctor i Mm. will never see anything ever again but actually the i in this case is capaldi is the 12th incarnation at this point there's very little forethought i would put beyond jamie matheson what a chap seriously jamie matheson i'm not going to look into you in depth maybe you're a (laughs) no wait cut that cut that cut (laughs) that please I'll extend the beep so that he can't hear you're calling him a (laughs) (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Yeah, come back. (laughs) It's my point. On the topic of the doctor being blind, he, under those circumstances, rewires a nuclear reactor. Yeah, imagine how insufferable he's going to (laughs) be. Both an incredible plot point and a great line. Yep. Oh, Jamie Madsen, where are you? Seriously, come back right now. Salvage this. Sorry, everyone who loves Chibbers, by the way. Oh. Because yeah. we have had, like, I think maybe two people have gotten in touch with us to say, oh, stop hating on Chibbers. Yeah, I think there is going to be a reappraisal of Chibbers. Not perhaps a full exoneration, as with the Sonic Ray Bands, but all this vitriol, this is before the fact, Podcast Land. Stay with us. We are going to give it a fair shot. Absolutely. And I would also like to point out the first time that I watched the Doctor Who reboot in general, I really disliked Eccleston. Oh, really? Like I really, really, really disliked him. And that is solely because he wasn't Tom Baker. That is such a Garth yeah. move. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was like, who is this dude? He isn't Tom Baker. I don't approve of this. <laughs> and then upon rewatching it properly, actually, you know what? Eccleston's fantastic. Absolutely mm. fantastic. So it's possible that we will have a similar reappraisal of what's his face? Chibbers. Already forgotten his name. Not worth remembering. No, maybe he is who knows so that's that cleared up then yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay i haven't got many points left what points i do have sort of relate to some of the supporting cast we haven't really talked about like whom like paul caulfield who plays (laughs) (laughs) okay he's getting more and more cling on by the mention Yeah. The trivia is that he was in two shows by RTD, Banana and Cucumber, playing the same chap, Francesco. Oh, right. Okay. And he and Bill had a moment. An iffy moment. Yeah. A tense moment. At the start, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. They got off to a rocky beginning. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that particular scene? The let's underline racism in the future scene. Yeah. And how it cuts ways other than you'd expect. Yeah. Okay. I liked how... Bill didn't react the way I would react, okay? Because as we all know, as I have admitted, as I have tried to deconstruct, as I have tried to check, in fact, I am super effing white. And to see Bill (laughs) not trying to overcompensate for centuries of privilege and inequality, and let's face it, reading some of the wrong newspapers growing up and trying to dissociate herself from some of her previous opinions, it was nice. And she was smiling and she was understanding and she wasn't making a huge deal out of it. I thought it was nice and perhaps a little instructive. (laughs) 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's perhaps a little in your face. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that it's being particularly discreet in the delivery of this particular moral cookie, but yeah, it's doing the job. I think it's doing it very well. I like the end. I like the resolution of the scene more than I like the body of this scene. Because I almost feel a little awkward when she's being so ham-fistedly racist towards him. But then at the end, as she's being pulled out of the room to have her firmware upgrade, as in her suit gets a firmware upgrade, yeah. when she looks back at the Blue Man group and, uh, what's his name, Darren? Dazmeister. Darren! That's right, Dazza. Dazza goes, yeah, all right, fine, bye. Like, he's super cash about her leaving the room. And to her, it's a much bigger deal because it's almost as though he embodies all of the discrimination that she has had to face in her life. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't want him to feel the way she's had to feel. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. But, yeah, sorry, she does say, oh, just to let you know, I'm not prejudiced or anything like that. But you know what? No, sorry, I take it back. This all feeds into why the scene is super orcs to me, except for the end where it all pays off. When she's being pulled out of the room, but even though she needs this firmware upgrade to even move around, like move her hands or her arms or whatever it is, But she really wants to stay in that room and talk to him because he embodies so much that has been formative in her upbringing and and that she has a moral opinion on. Yeah, and she can't express that in the limited time she's got available. So she's smiling. She's trying to say it with her mouth. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm a, I get it. We're on the same I, spectrum, buddy. Yeah. I took that actually to be... So that little scene at the end, she says, oh, I'm not prejudiced, like, obviously. And he's like, well, why would you be? And then her smile, I thought, is like a realisation that in the future racism is not an issue for people that look like me racism against blue people is an issue but for the things that my generation have gone through that's basically eradicated and we're all humans and so it's a massive leap forward for her but then this obviously this blue guy comes out of nowhere and (laughs) takes on all the prejudice instead and then actually when you were saying drew this is like a roadmap for how we should treat race i actually don't think it is i think she says a lot of the things that are really kind of stereotypical responses so one of the Mm. first things she said to him she goes oh your name's darren and he goes no darren or however pronounces it (laughs) (laughs) and she goes oh that makes more sense and it's like she's expecting him to have a non-english sounding name and she throws these lines at him that Mm. coming from her she has absolutely no she doesn't have prejudice against him like she says she's never met anyone who looks like him he's literally an alien to her but she's unwittingly saying the things that people say without trying to be racist but actually come across as you're making this person feel other yeah exactly yeah 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 maybe i'm just giving her credit for getting less flustered than i do when i'm trying super hard not to say the wrong thing <laughs> but i think it's yeah. a, it's the same kind of xenophobia that you encounter nowadays perhaps slightly toned down because she is more liberal and then panned back like it's zoomed out at this point because there's nothing outside of humanity, you can recognize various distinctive features or differences between different parts of humanity. You zoom back out, you realize there's more than just humanity. There are other species in the universe. All of a sudden, humanity becomes one thing, and now you recognize the distinctive features between different species in the universe. Oh, these people are blue. These people are anything but blue. These people are green. These people have horns. These people have hooves. Who cares? Like, yeah, it doesn't matter, right? But I think that's exactly... Oh, I think this really serves to humanize 
her as a character Mm -hmm. in so many different ways not only does it put a little loop a little spotlight on a a problem that we face today in society but it also really serves to endear the audience to her as a character because she somehow stands outside of that problem because not only does she embody that problem as you just said marie like she says many of those lines that we encounter today but she Mm. recognizes it and many of the people who say those lines today they don't recognize it they will be like oh can i touch your hair or oh your skin looks different to me or oh where are you from i know i mean originally that sort of thing but they don't recognize that that is a part of their behavior and she says those things recognizes it in her own behavior and like sort of almost calls herself out on it and she's willing to listen and to learn and that's the only way you get to that place exactly yes exactly yeah Oh, you know what? Fine. If you're not going to take this mantle, Marie, I will get myself a Bill Fan Club spokesperson membership card thingy sent no, in no, the No, 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 no. A Bill Fan Club can be a big inclusive thing. It's saying you are the single Bill correspondent and you have to tell <laughs> us how to think about Bill now. That's no, what no. Marie I, no one is telling anyone who how to think about anything, but I am happy to be... I mean, if no one else is going to be president of the Bill Fan Club, then I will take that mantle, but I will <laughs> happily be a member of the fan club regardless. Yeah. I would also say that a thing I appreciate about this scene is the scale of it. It didn't become a runner. Bill didn't go back and say, sorry about earlier. Let's have this conversation all over again and really hammer it home. And then we don't get to see you outside of this context of being really fucking blue and me <laughs> reacting to it. <laughs> and it doesn't weigh Bill down and it doesn't drag his character down. You get a bit of it and you move on. Yeah. And then after that, they're just characters being characters. And I think that's really important. Dang right. Yeah. Okay. So the next character, mm-hmm. Black Woman. Oh, yeah. I recognized her. I wrote in my notes, oh, wow, I really recognize Abby. And I had to look her up because I didn't know where I recognized her from. And I recognized her from The Witcher. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I've written down somewhere what her name is. It's Mimi Undiwani. That's the one. Thank you not very much. Not Black Woman. I'm not going to try and redress my previous mistake. I'm just going to let it sit <laughs> and say I've still got work to do. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, Podcast Land, it's a little orcs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah a little, a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a little awkward that her character is a bit more one note. She is just hostile all the way through to the point where it's like, you don't have to be hostile every time you appear. I started to wonder why the other characters weren't saying, Abby, why do you have to be hostile every effing time? He's trying to help <laughs> us. You're like this. All, oh, I've hated you since day one. You know what? I've got a lot to say. I've Abby. had it. And hey, <laughs> Abby, I've seen the post-its that you put on my yogurt in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> all caps. <laughs> I'm not okay with that anymore, okay? <laughs> Space yogurt is... <laughs> Yeah, you, I, I think she had the second most scope to her character, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like, the most interesting character was the chap who got done in first. Tasker. Tasker, yes, thank you very much. He had the most interesting character development. He had the greatest range as a character. And unfortunately, he was done in super duper quickly. He buys it. He turns into a zombie. And, well, it turns out he dies. I thought that he's... I thought everyone survived. In him dying, that also subverted my expectations slightly. Because I was like, oh, he's the head honcho. He's the guy who's going to play the sort of captain-esque figure. He's going to be there at the end. No, he wasn't. No, because apparently he's dead and we'll never see him again. Yep. Tag Nabbit Tasker. I was expecting you to return at some point. Oh. But she has the second most to do, is what I'm trying to say. Like, she is the second most interesting character... Because the only other option that you really have is Laurent Gerard Butler. And and he does almost nothing. (laughs) Right, right, right. 
He is a blank slate that remains blank because they ran out of paint. Like that guy, he does an admirable job of conveying very little because very little was written for him. Yeah, but emotion bounces off him like rain off a roof. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad in a way. I'm glad that he wasn't the central character because our intro to him was his girlfriend slash fiance wife whatever she was in relation to him going yeah. oh i really want to have a baby with you and i oh. i did a massive eye roll at that i was like oh come on like I'm, now <laughs> oh, i have thank you. yes here's this my is a shortcut to me having to care about you because you want to procreate with this person okay exactly um, so i'm actually glad that he never heard that and that wasn't a plot point for him that died with her basically yeah, mid credit scene is him going, oh, God, thank goodness there are no babies aboard because I hate babies. And, <laughs> and everyone in the audience knows, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Your relationship is going to fail. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's already failed because she's a zombie. Oh, shit. I've, yes, you're right. So, <laughs> see, I'm still in the position where she's going to be revived. You're so Why can't right, you Marie. remember that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't let the mention of the faulty comms go without the brilliance of her screaming and the hard cut to silence. He's like 10 feet away. Mm. She is just off camera meeting her maker and he's right there. going, Brilliant few moments. And then he turns around and, oh, wow. Yeah, that's very good. That is some solid stuff. Oof. Oof, my loof. That cold open is crazy good. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Ah. Also, the shot of dozens of zombies just arrayed over the outer hull with the music going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great episode. You know what? Done. 5.0. Great episode. <laughs> no, it's not a 5.0. But it is a great episode nonetheless. Ooh, oh, yikes, bananas. Okay, well, that's the end of my points. Leon, what you got? Every single other bullet point, one, two, three, four, five, six bullet points, all of them are dedicated to how much I like Nardole. Oh, wow. Every single one of them. I got Nardole switched his face ages ago. I have one that is just entirely out of context. Nardole is great. M dash. And then I probably intended to continue writing. Didn't. Because he was too busy being great, and you're like, oh, I have to watch this bit now. Yeah, similarly, although a little bit further along in the episode, I have not all, exclamation point. Uh-huh. I have a quote, which is, it's fried, should be safe. Nod all goes, uh, you thought you were safe before? Doctor goes, yes, well, I'm bound to be right eventually, aren't I? I guess that's maybe more of a doctor writing kind of point, but not all is a part of it, Dagnabbit, he's excellent. Oh, actually, okay, fine. I'll center on this one. The hug that Nardole joins at the end. What? Yeah, because <laughs> I don't know how, but I'm assuming that this is where the cuddles. When you do that, Drew, it gives me a negative erection. Like it gives Okay, me so a, how did Matt Lucas doing it not boner. give you the same result? Because I didn't hear him say, I can't do it. I didn't hear him say cuddles. Can we have a soundbite? Nod old minutes and seconds. Here we go. <laughs> what about that? Yeah, there's a gaping hole where my dick used to be. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> I didn't hear that line delivery. I didn't hear that line in that scene. All I saw... Because you were too busy going, squee! 
Well, the thing is that I got super emotional when Bill went in for the hug. I got right. super duper emotional and, and Bill's delivery there is so, it's so wonderful. That scene is such a feel good moment yeah, of Bill just, just saved my life. Exactly. She's so appreciative. She's so thankful. She's also not just appreciative of the doctor's efforts. She is appreciative, I'm assuming, of some of her own having survived this whole ordeal. She's expressing much of, not the full scope of, not the full range, the spectrum of, but much of the spectrum of emotion that her character is capable of. She's incredible. I love Bill. And that scene where she hugs him, it almost, it doesn't quite, but it almost brings me to tears. And then Nardola's there as almost the comic relief, as a button on top to go... Yeah, you're emotional right now, but what you're going to do is you're going to have a chuckle instead. And then he just jumps in and almost photobombs the hug. And it makes me so incredibly happy. I love that scene. Except he doesn't just jump in. He also goes, Cardo. Yeah, it, I mean, now my dick has given its notice and moved out of town. See, but see, <laughs> my note for that scene was now we know why Nardol had to replace his head while he was on the run. Because he had been convicted for constant non-consensual cuddling, creeping up on blind men, just hugging them from behind. He was put on some sort of register. He had to replace his his head on the run from the which space head? Which sex head? Which police. Head? Which head? <laughs> the one with the face. Which as head? Which, which, one? which one? Which one? <laughs> the one with the tongue. I'm not getting it. The main one. The one that he speaks out of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, now I don't know which part of him was saying, <laughs> I really like Nardole. He's so good. I'm so glad that he's finally joined an adventure. Yeah. He does add just about. Yeah. Do you agree, Marie? Does Nardole have some mileage in him as a character? Yeah, definitely he does. I do like him. I'm so torn about that scene, though, because I had the really emotional reaction and the music's crescendoing and Bill goes in for a hug and it's so powerful. And then it's just, just Nardole. And, I like, <laughs> and it did make me laugh. It is good comic relief. But just why why not let it be an emotional moment? Why rob Bill of her emotional connection to the Doctor and turn it into comic relief instead? I just, I don't... That's I, fair. I went along for the ride. I did what they wanted me to do. I did laugh at it. But I just don't know if that was best for Bill's character journey. I think that's a fair argument. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I do think if they'd have just cut that line, it might have been better. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, <laughs> here are my friends who don't agree with me. <laughs> you wait till you hear it, Leon. Yeah, yeah, but you now agree in with retrospect, this. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind at all. I don't mind this gaping hole in my midriff. <laughs> Big fan, a huge fan. <laughs> oh dear, he's good for comic relief, but I just think this was such a tense episode. Maybe the comic relief wasn't needed. Well, I would like to direct your attention at LL Cool J's character in Deep Blue Sea, who was the comic relief throughout. It was a very tense movie, yet he made it, spoilers for Deep Blue Sea, and it was totes my loads worth it. Not all is the LL Cool J of this episode. <laughs> and trivia point, Deep Blue Sea was the name in the first draft of Dark Ren. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> For a moment there. <laughs> oh, no, me too. Like, wow, he caught up with trivia so fast. <laughs> that's, that's a freaking coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me. 
explains me. I would say, Marie, Nardole's excellent comic relief throughout this episode. This is not a different type of comic relief that we needed. We needed another zippy one, two, one, two between him and the doctor. Maybe slightly after this scene, maybe in the TARDIS when he's fixing yeah. his eyes, whatever. Hmm. Okay, so we all done. Should we rate this bad boy? See if it's actually a good boy? Let's! And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings! Ratings section sponsored by Magpie Electronics. Too late, Marie, sorry. You're starting. I don't, I don't think even the delay is responsible nope, for that. That's, one. that's all you, Marie. <laughs> that was like a half no. a minute. <laughs> Okay, this, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about this episode. It's a really, really great episode. Obviously, everything we've talked about today, the writing's fantastic, the direction's fantastic, it looks gorgeous, some of the shots are film quality, Bill's fantastic, Doctor's fantastic, everything's great. The zombies are really cool, they look terrifying. Mm. It is a terrifying episode, it's so tense in moments. There's some really interesting moments, like the Oxygenog leaves the room and the doctor tells Bill to get in a suit that she knows is going to try and kill her, but it's versus die now from lack of oxygen or die later because the suit will murder you. It's a really, it's a really good episode. I just don't know what it is, but just something about me just doesn't want to gush as much about it as I normally do. And I do, I think coming towards the end of our discussion, I've pinpointed why, and I think it is just that lack of emotional connection. So I didn't connect with very many of the secondary characters. And yeah, the comic stuff with Nardole just took away from the tension for me. I just wanted to be on the edge of my seat for the whole thing. And every time there was a little Nardole moment, maybe that didn't quite do what I wanted it to do. And so, yeah. And then, and then the next week's episode jumped on. And as soon as I saw that tiny little TARDIS-shaped notebook, my heart just leapt into my mouth. And I was like, oh my god, is River coming back? I don't think she is. I'm very disappointed about that. But that's the level of excitement that I want from a fantastic episode, is that it will pull on my heartstrings and it will make me something bigger than just it's good. So it is really, really good. I can't really fault it. Easy to admire, difficult to love. Is that what you're Exactly. So I'm going to... It's still a solid episode. But yeah, I'm going to stick with a just a four. A, just a good solid four. That's a high good. score. Maybe it's too high. <laughs> four, <laughs> a 3.8. <laughs> Wait, sorry. Did you change it to a 3.8? A 3.8. Yeah. Delete the first bit. 3.8. A good solid okay. 3.8. <laughs> 3.8. So yeah. Okay. Liked it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Agree with much of what you've just said. Disagree with maybe a little bit. 3.8, that's a solid rating. Am I next? Sounds like you started. Well, I, I feel like I may have come second in our finger on the tip of nose game. I'm going to bullet point this super duper quickly. Capaldi is delivering a freaking standout par excellence performance here. He is capaldi it up to the hilt. When he is under pressure, when he is bored at university, when he is severely encumbered by new circumstances towards the latter act of this episode. Wow, Capaldi is fantastic. And by extension, Matheson really understands Capaldi's interpretation of this doctor. Very well done. More of this guy, please. He's great. I assume we'll have more of him for seasons going forward, I'm sure. Not all. What a treasure. He is great. I assume we'll have more than a season of him going forward as well. What a character. Love him as a companion. He's fun. He's heartfelt. 
He's bringing a little bit of emotional context. He's bringing a lot of comic relief. Love that guy. Changed his face. I can relate. Great. Good stuff. Bill. Wow. Just wow. She both channels her own persona and acts as a conduit for Doc and Nardole and the ancillary characters of the week to flourish. Did I say wow already? If I didn't, wow. Love her. It is incredibly cinematic, this episode. Possibly the reason I said this would work as a good introductory episode for people who aren't familiar with New Who is that not only does it start on sort of a tabloid answer, oh, they want an adventure that doesn't depend on anything, you know, any prior knowledge, but it is incredibly cinematic in the sense that it ties back to sci-fi and TV and film lore that people are familiar with in viewer land. I'm currently looking for something to start someone off on Doctor Who with. This feels like a pretty decent candidate. Anyone who's watched Star Trek First Contact, they will feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, this ties into it. Anyone who's seen anything with zombies, oh, that might feed into it. Great. Good stuff. Yeah. And you don't have to preface you'll love this show with if you love quirky and British and cheap looking. No, exactly. (laughs) You you don't have to say that's part of the charm. No, because exactly. That isn't present at all. Yeah, there are. Yeah, but isn't there's... that part of the problem? Because they're going to expect every episode to look like this, and it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah, but they'll see where it's heading towards. That's a very good point. But Naria wall of this space station is made out of cardboard that wobbles whenever <laughs> Capaldi sets foot in it. It works. It really, really works. So I guess that kind of covers production value off the chart. On top of that, it is a clever story. It is a political statement wrapped in hard sci-fi and delivered in a perfectly coherent and logical way, even though I completely concede I didn't realize that everyone fucking died in it. It's a great story. It has a message. It works. I love it. On top of which, what a cold open. What a hot ending. Fantastic. (laughs) I didn't see the next week on Doctor Who, so I don't know what this notebook business is, but good stuff. (sighs) I have written down a score. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't need to raise the bar, downgrade it, then pick something. I have written down (laughs) 3.8. I think this is absolutely... 3.8. I've written down 3.8, yeah. 3.8? I thought you remembered Marie's rating and failed to say 4.8. No, 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 sorry. No, I wrote down 3.8. I'm sorry if I was unclear about that. I wrote down 3.8. Where's the 1.2 gone? Yeah, justify yourself. Wait, sorry, just excuse me. gushed for an hour and a half. What the yeah, shitting hell has just nothing. happened? You guys have been <laughs> shitting on this episode for an hour and a half, and now all of a sudden I have to prove why I'm not giving it a 5.0. I give very few episodes a 5.0. All of us, not a single person here, will give every episode a 5.0. I'm not talking about 5.0, I'm talking about 3.9 and up. <laughs> shit, man. It's in the middle of everything. No, don't make me shit on this episode right after I've given it a very decent score. 3.8 is a decent score. I like this episode. I like everything about it, except... Oh, dang, now it. I hate both of you. Podcast over. No, seriously. <laughs> 3.8 is a decent score. If anyone in podcast... I don't know. We've had a couple of minis here. I don't know if they're both 5.0s. But if anyone disagrees with that, 3.8 is a very respectable score. I feel like this episode really delivers without tying into a broader character arc. It doesn't tie into the lore. Okay, you know what? Actually, I'm kind of glad that you ham-fisted this in because... Wait, hang on. Wait, wait. Sorry, Marie. Sorry. Podcast land. Marie is raising her hand. Because this is another reason why this is a decent episode to start someone off on. This could almost be any sci-fi show. This is not Doctor Who exclusively. This could be almost any sci-fi show and then repurposed for Doctor Who in the sense that the Doctor starts off in it. 
you write that introductory scene where he is delivering a speech at the university. But aside from this, this is just like generic sci-fi of the um, noughties. And consequently, it's very accessible. I like this episode. I'm downgrading it because it's not massive. Like Hartnell isn't in it and Tom Baker isn't the star. Who gives a shit? It's a great episode. You should watch it 3.8. Boom, done. I just, you better I just give this 5.0, 5.0, dude. For the record, I just wanted to know yeah. that the only reason I contemplated going up to a 4 was because I thought you were going to give it a stupidly high, like 4.8 and above. And I was peer pressured into it by what I thought you were going to say. And then I was like, no, stand by your convictions. And that's when I came down to a 3.8. I'm so shocked. Good for you, Marie. <laughs> That you oh, Doug, now, but you have the same rating as me. <laughs> Marie, you understand what you're doing. You're just feeding into his ego. In a moment, he's going to deliver his mini. He's going to give it a four point something, and the two of us are going to look like assholes. I, I, <laughs> regardless of who looks like what, I honestly think, dude, listeners will hear this and experience some of the same dissonance that Marie and I did. Fine. When you say this score, it's like, wow, okay. That's all. 3.8 is a good score. Jesus shit, man. It's a good score, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but I can't give this 5.0 just because Nardole is in it. It's a good episode. It's a very good episode. It's 3.8 is like more than halfway from average to excellent. (laughs) I think it's not even excellent. (laughs) Yikes bananas. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But 3.0. Oh, 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 you guys. Okay, Drew, come on. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, what make us got? feel like dicks. I will say, Leon, that you have rated Jamie Matheson's other three episodes, 4.2, 4.2, and 4.1. So this is your least favorite Wait, Jamie is that, is that true? Episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for the first time ever, I have not... See, this is... Tag now. Okay, wait, Podcast Land for context. Before we jumped into our minis, I just said, you know what? I don't have to write anything. I don't have to prepare anything. I'm just going to improvise. And that means I also didn't look up what I gave prior episodes. Damn it. Dag nabbit. <laughs> oh, if I had known that, I might have given it a little bit higher. It's better than Mummy on the Orient Express. It's oh, dag nabbit. I don't know if it's better than Flatline. Dude, dude, it's all right. Well, just it's a too late ago, now. Like I've said, basically just, shit in my own mouth. As you said just a minute ago, <laughs> 3.8 is a good score. Oh, really? That doesn't sound like what past Drew thought of my score. <laughs> yeah, well, my next line was going to be, I have a better one. Bastard. Oh. Go for it. <laughs> Marie, see? This is what I was saying. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. Okay. I agree with pretty much everything both of you have said, apart from your score and the love for Nardo, which with me is present, but a little more modulated. Before watching this episode, I sort of didn't want to like it for a few undefinable, unsatisfactory reasons that didn't really add up to a compelling rationale. Jamie Matheson's got a 4.2 average. But everyone has a weak link, right? So maybe this is his. The unstable nature of a scale built on numbers of breaths. Just breathe deeper, maybe? And the stupidity we've talked about of a company expelling all the oxygen on board just so the next crew will use it more efficiently. Those are the things I remembered over the last four years. But as I said, the more I thought about it, the more I'm convinced that this just chimes perfectly with capitalism's competitive stupidity. It's race to the bottom at the top. Have you heard the story of the guy at Wiley who thought that if they got rid of their entire production department, that would really save on costs? Oh, that sounds like a company I don't work for. Yeah. (laughs) I heard this from someone who works there. This guy wasn't talking about downsizing. It's not me if my boss is listening. Nope. (laughs) 
He wasn't even talking about outsourcing. He meant fully getting rid of the company's production. No joke. And someone had to be like, you understand we won't get any revenue, right? But he's the one with an MBA. So what do I know? (laughs) There are idiots out there more than capable of this level of shit fuckery. Right now, everywhere is firing and rehiring to try to get an advantage as furlough ends. There are oxygen shortages in Indian hospitals. There are chilling and urgent parallels for people watching right now. So I think it stands up in that way. It's always going to be topical to a degree. I have a few problems. Where's the mine? It's a bit like under the lake. Yeah. It's supposed to be a mining operation. Zero mining in evidence. But I can't really go much further with that. Nardole is relatively weak. That's a relative thing. Everything looks great, down to the spacesuits. It's dark as balls, but it's showing, not telling. Capaldi, half-lit in shadow, is more than enough. But like Marie says, it's easier to admire than to love. Maybe that is the reason why I didn't want to like it going in. It didn't leave... I don't need a warm, fuzzy impression, but... I don't know, what am I saying? Maybe this is why they didn't have Jamie Matheson as the showrunner after Moffat, because in a way he would have been Moffat's perfect successor. But it would have been more of the same. I get why they wanted to go in a different direction. This sort of thing is okay in a few episodes every series or for a few years in general, but to have it keep going down this tunnel is hard to watch eventually. However, it's great, isn't it? It's just great. I thought a little more work was needed to make it less obvious that the company was behind the killing. In retrospect, it's unforgettable. But Doc misleading the suits with his convincing die well plan, which Capaldi, being the man he is, fully convinces on, even though I know that's not what he's doing. (laughs) And he knew Bill wouldn't get a lethal dose. These are two good story devices, making up for there not really being one at the end of Flatline. And Leon, you called this generic in a way. Not in a bad way necessarily, to clarify. Yeah, I would say the positive spin on that is, okay, it might not seem like quirky Doctor Who we know and get most weeks, but that's because it's transcending its limitations here. They are not in evidence. This is just such quality that I'm going to have to give this a (gasps) 4.6. Sorry, 4.6, you say? Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Okay, I do slightly (laughs) regret my rating after you guys absolutely bullied me a moment ago, but I wouldn't go as far as 4.6. You have a huge heart. Huge heart. Everyone, check out the huge heart on Drew. I might go to 4.0. No, it's too late. I've ballsed it up. 4.6. See a doctor for your huge heart. (laughs) Well, let's see what podcast land have to say about the size of my cardiac apparatus. Let's. This now minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. Kabam shazam, Podcast Land. <laughs> we have two listener minis. Thank you very much. The first one is from Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? What up, Kieran? Kieran begins. Hi, folks. Space capitalism and space zombies. Yeah, this one is fairly pointed in its political commentary, which is something I like in sci-fi, when done well. And it is done well here, so we're all good. Even if that bit makes me expect Tim Curry to turn up saying, do you know how how I should say this? Space! I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know the reference. All I know is him saying, rock here! (laughs) (laughs) Or anticipation. I'm trying to think of anything he said in the cutscenes of Command and Conquer Red Alert. (laughs) (laughs) 
Generally speaking, it's actually a fairly straightforward BUS story based under siege for the unfamiliar, with the Doctor coming up with a clever solution to get them out of it in the end. But it's done well, which is good. Mm-mm. There's a nice pre-titled setup of our space zombies. Mm-hmm. The Doctor's theme tune is a distress call, lol, but so true. Mm. Also, fluid <laughs> fluid link callback, and nice. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Interesting character point with the blue guy, Nardole and Bill, which I now realise is briefly mentioned later in this series, when Bill and Nardole met the blue guy in Wheat. So nice bit of internal continuity there. Mm-hmm. Wait, sorry, what is wheat? Can't remember. I don't know. World enough and we'll time. That's, that's what it is. Ah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> nice. Kieran, what a pro. Kieran continues. The doctor sacrificing his sight in order to help Bill is very on point, but I do find the doctor predicting that Bill's suit doesn't have enough electricity to kill her very convenient. Really, I do find this my only real gripe of the story. Everything else is either good or fairly standard. Having the Doctor injured is a good way of setting up that the Doctor is sometimes a little fallible, concludes Kieran, and foreshadowing the events of the next few episodes. And Kieran gives this a rating of 4.0 out of 5 oxygen credits. Oh, massive ratings envy, Kieran. Well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Kieran just hit the nail on the head. Oh, freaking well done, Kieran. Yeah. Mm, it's nice, us who should Kieran. be saying cheers to you, Kieran. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> cheers, my dears. Cheers. Two syllables. <laughs> you know what, Marie Andrew? I drove up to Tesco the other day in a regular gas-driven vehicle. Oh, how 20th century. I know. I really want to drive there in a way that is more convenient for Mother Nature. Oh, and more silent, so you get to run over children who are unsuspecting, so they don't get to star in sci-fi Anything. franchises. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I also need more space in the boot. Where might I go where I could get, like, a, let's say, a van? Fucking <laughs> 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 Ethan and the Masters of Electric Vehicles. I am Kieran, Prince of Evans and defender of the secrets of lithium-ion technology. Fabulous secret designs were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic battery and said, By the power of electricity, I have the power! So I guess in conclusion, please go to at KJEVans2. You can't go wrong. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Kieran. Who's next? Why next? Don't we have Michael? Ridgeway! 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 That's not a perfect on my end. Welcome back, Michael. Oh my goodness, Hi, Michael. Michael, it's been so long. As it is still. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That, that took way longer for me to get than I. Yeah. Very sorry, very sorry, everyone, except for Michael. Michael, not sorry at all. <laughs> what does Michael say? And Michael begins his rating with some likes. Straight in there, Michael. First, like, let's get married slash have children. Words in horror who inevitably followed by imminent death. Fools. Yeah, that's a good point. That's the I'll be right back of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Next like, space zombies, sort of. The shots of them wandering around the exterior of the station were awesome. Plus homicidal HAL AI on the rampage. 
And Michael's third like is the evil company behind it all is totally Amazon. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> or BritBox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all remember what you had to go through, Michael. <laughs> but that's it for Michael's likes. Next up, we've got a few. <laughs> Why can't the doctor use some regeneration energy to fix his eyes? Didn't he grow a new hand once? Hasn't he cured other people by using 10 years of his life or something? Great memory, Michael. Incredibly good point, Michael. That's the kind of thing that might bring your score down to a 3.8. I I did all the remembering and none of the necessary connection. (laughs) Well done, Michael. (laughs) Next beef. Abby, the character, Drew. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Thanks, Michael. Is such an ass. Whinge, moan. I've only got 700 breaths left. Good. Use them and die whenever a luckless crew member kicked the bucket. I was left thinking, should have been you, Abby. It should have been you. <laughs> so cold. Yeah. Completely so cold. agree, though. <laughs> yeah. His dick's so big, but his heart's so small. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Michael got a lot of deja vu watching this, and not just from Wallace and Gromit. We've had corpse spacesuits before. Very true. And dead or zombie-like things besieging a base in Capaldi's era recently. Too recently? Yeah, you felt this, didn't you, Drew? You brought this up. I mentioned Sleep No More, but again, I I didn't hold it as a negative, but I definitely see how it, you know, just a slightly different perspective, and it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. And Michael's final... Oh, it's so moving that Ivan's partner, who is definitely a rotting corpse, gave him her oxygen and shared a soulful, doughy-eyed, loving stare. But she is still a floppy, lifeless, rotting corpse. <laughs> did, no one, did no one else find that a bit weird? It was dangerously close to necrophilia territory. Yeah, hot. Yeah, we're very lucky the episode ended there. <laughs> Post-credit sequence. <laughs> In summary, Michael says, creepy, claustrophobic, done before, maybe, but rarely done better. And he gives this a rating of 3.4 out of five times Abby should have been slaughtered horribly by mad zombie suit people. <laughs> we were robbed. Robbed, I tell you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give her a second note. Oh, what a dude. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, we've missed you. Where have you been? <laughs> Glad to have you back. Leon, I've been watching films lately, and they are uniformly good. Oh. To the point where I'm wondering, maybe I need a bit more variety in my life. People are always saying, it's so bad, it's good. I want to know what that's like. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think that's a good thought. Maybe you should join some sort of organization that is specifically devoted to films that are not good. Oh, now you're talking my language. Do you know of any? (laughs) I do. Thanks for asking. Please go to Twitter, follow at bad underscore movie underscore club. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'll get right on it. Yeah. For all your non-good movie needs. (laughs) 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 Thanks very much, Michael. Excellent as always. Love you, Michael. So big. Bing bong. This is Drew Back When. Who Back When has received a third tranche of lucrative listener IP this week. This one comes from Andy Parkinson. In the time on a tradition, hi Andy. Andy begins, what ho gang? One person can be a gang, right? 
Oxygen. It's a straight-up sci-fi horror story that tips many a nod to so many genres, from the Star Trek opening line to Night of the Living Dead-type space zombies. With a warning about capitalist greed, which has been covered by Who in the past, Sunmakers, for example, it echoes the theme of the film Moon. I didn't think about that, but yes, absolutely. Great film, by the way. The main cast are fantastic as ever, and Nardole actually gets more screen time and is great fun. Oh, Duncan Jones, so much early potential. Anyway, Andy goes on to list some likes. The many nods to other sci-fi, like the glowing red eye in the suits, similar to HAL 9000. Never made it through that film, Andy. The dirty used look at the space station, similar to Star Wars and Alien, and too many more to mention. And that's just one like, there are three more. The reverse racism scene, with Dark Ren and Bill. And Nardole saying some of his friends are bluish is a nod to the Beatles movie Yellow Submarine. Also a great film. Third, like having to battle the suits, both space and corporate, the Doctor gets to make one of his monologues. Fourth, like space doors shouldn't go. But it's not all great out in Andy's mining region because he follows up with some beefs. First beef. The crew woefully lack any character development and are clearly just cannon fodder. Ellie's scene about being ready to have a baby is a clear sign she wouldn't last the episode. You're not wrong, but at least they don't string us along for 20 minutes before they finally bump her off. And last, poof, if the empty spacesuits can perform tasks, why do they need humans aboard at all? Yeah, much like Marie said. However, Andy concludes by saying, overall, one of the strongest episodes of all New Who I can remember. It's incredibly atmospheric and scary at times, harking back to the show's heyday. I'm certain if I was a kid watching this, I'd have been behind the sofa. And Andy awards this story 4.9 packets of crisps from Birmingham out of 5. Thanks, Andy. Yet another review that justifies every single one of your 71 Caffreys. Because if you want to follow Andy online, you can follow him at Caffreys71. That's 71 Caffreys. It's Caffreys71 on Twitter. Andy Parkinson, Caffreys71, 71 71 Caffreys. Uh, This is why you need to do this with friends. Bing bong. And that's it. We did it. We did. Yes. So what have we got coming up next? Good question. Leon, you're down with the classic kids. Thanks for asking. Next time, we will have a Classic Who review, namely of Ark of Infinity. Oh, that sounds amazing. That is a better title than Oxygen. I didn't mention the title, but if this was a Classic Who episode, it would have been The Killers of Air. (laughs) (laughs) And got a way higher viewership. (laughs) And Marie, I know for a fact that you watched the Next Time on Doctor Who segment at the end, so what's up next in the New Who channel? I did some episode where Missy's back. Extremists. We all go to hell. What's it called? Extremists. Extremists. That's right. Ooh, can't Ooh. wait to watch that. Me and the too. Audio Who channel we're putting off until we drop our next bonus episode, which we still hope will be strange readings. That's right. Yeah, we're still missing a good few recordings. <laughs> For context, there are 70 plus characters in this audio adventure. It'll take a while, but yeah, we're hoping that that's going to be the next one. Rad. So in the meantime, where can people find us online? Leon. Oh, really? Starting with me, are we? Good stuff. Well, people of podcast land, if you're not following me already, please do follow me and be disappointed anew. I am at <laughs> Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. I rarely tweet, but when I do, I really make it count. Ah. <laughs> How about you, Marie? Where can you be found online? Well, I can be found on the Instagram at Ham, Matt and Jelly. Wow, well, those, those are three, three of our favourite things. 
What about you, Drew? Why, I can be found on the Tweety Box at Drew Mac when. My goodness, that is some excellent branding. Would Seriously. You say, would you say that's almost perfect branding? That is almost perfect branding. So like 3.8 out of 5 branding. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you... Oh, now, I'm, I'm, I have such ratings regret right now, Podcast Lands. Both of you are so right. <laughs> Oh, we should say something before we close this episode. People of Podcast Land may wonder why this episode landed in their ear holes a week later than they expected. We have changed the frequency of our podcast delivery. We are no longer a, strictly speaking, weekly podcast. We are now doing this a sort of two out of three weeks now. So we're doing like classic, new, probably a break. Classic, new, probably a break. And in that break, we might deliver an audio who, we might deliver a bonus episode, we might literally just take a break. Yeah, and there are so many reasons. Marie's just got a new job, things are opening up and we want to get out and experience the world again. We want to finish Strange Readings before we're dead. Yeah, that's right. And we have been going for seven years, very soon eight years, I think, actually. And it has been a weekly show for this entire time. Yeah, that's a lot of life. (laughs) (laughs) So very sorry, Podcast Land, if that disappoints you, but you're welcome if you feel that that actually adds value, which we believe that it will. Yeah, and you're never going to have to wait more than a fortnight for your next step. Exactly, yeah. Either way, go to whobackwhen.com. We will continue to endeavor to uh, list the drop dates of our upcoming episodes there. Rad. So that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, catch you on the flip side, Podcast Land. Yeah, get those vaccines and be right next to each other. By the time this episode drops, I will have had my first vaccine. What? Super duper exciting. Super duper exciting, man. (laughs) Very happy for you. Podcast land, let that be an example. Get your vaccines. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Cheers. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode and lastly give us a rating and review on iTunes it helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points that's it rock on and be rad and excellent to each other catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode until then ciao ciao who back when oh hi Marie what's that you're saying after all that Leon still hasn't set up the Patreon page you're joking